0: So, you're a coach and a sport performance specialist. Tell me which came first, the chicken or the egg for you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the coaching definitely came first. So, I actually played soccer at a really high level for a long time. And as a way to stay engaged in the game, I decided to coach kind of on the side. And it started with just like private sessions, coaching one on one and that kind of stuff. And that kind of grew to coaching bigger groups. And then teams and then eventually yeah got coaching in like college programs and things like that so coaching was definitely before the sports performance specialist later on I went back to school and I got a masters in sports psychology and so that's that's kind of when that sports performance piece kind of came in but of course I feel like the two go hand in hand right you almost can't have one without the other so I'd say I learned a lot of that sports performance practical experience that I have from coaching. And then obviously there's the formal education that I got to kind of back that up. And I went and got a master's and everything, but I I felt like I always had a focus on that sort of thing.
0: Interesting. Well, I think people who are in the sport performance space and in the athlete mental health space, that there's a story behind that because I think coaches could go in all different directions. So let's back it up even further. You said you played soccer at a high level. Let's talk about that like let's talk about your soccer career starting as a youth maybe.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, when I was really young, I played all kinds of sports. I was I was into everything. I tried everything. For years I played baseball and basketball, tennis and everything. Soccer is in my blood though. I'm half Brazilian. Okay. So, always had a thing for soccer and then, you know, at a certain point when I got into high school, I felt like it was the right decision to just take soccer more seriously and felt more passionate about it. So decided to pursue soccer and and play soccer basically full-time in high school and got an offer to go play college soccer. It was a a small school on the East Coast in uh, New York State called Vassar College. And yeah, it was a great experience playing college soccer there. And from there, I actually went on to play a little bit professionally. And I think it's pretty rare for division three college soccer player to go and play professionally afterwards. But I think really going to to Vassar was a unique experience for me in that I got a leadership position on the team. I got to play a lot, even from my freshman year. And so taking on that leadership role kind of just allowed me to grow in a different way and inspired me to, to keep going. So when I graduated, I went and did trials in other countries. And played several years of soccer in in other countries as well. And also, you're asking me a little bit about the chicken or the egg.
0: Uh
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what came first? Well, part of what inspired me to get into sports psychology was my college coach. My college coach had a degree in sports psychology as well. And he's probably the best coach I've ever had. So he really inspired me to continue not only staying involved in the game, but also pursuing... Sports psychology and educating myself in a different way, maybe, which I wouldn't have done before, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. There's so much here. I mean, it's inspiring to hear that a division three athlete can play professionally. Like, I think that's important for anyone who's listening to know that that's possible, although rare. So that's super inspiring. I love that you went to trials outside of the US and experienced that. Were you born and raised here in the US?
1: I was. Yeah. I was uh, born and raised in the Bay Area. Oakland, California. Yeah. Yeah. Went to high school out there. And my dad is Brazilian, but he built a business and lived in California for a really long time. So that's where I grew up. Okay.
0: Yes. So, you know, I live in Alameda, just a hop, skip and a jump from oh, yeah. Oakland.
1: Yeah. That's my hood.
0: Yeah. That's your... <laughs> <laughs> we got the Oakland roots in common from its roots, pardon the pun. But yep. you've had many coaches, this college coach was also a sports psychologist, had a degree. Not all college coaches can, but I believe, maybe you do too, that college coaches can be use tenets and aspects of sports psychology in their coaching. What stood out for you in this college coach versus a college coach that didn't have those tenets or that education? What was different?
1: Mm, great question. I didn't have a college experience with a coach who did not have that. So hard for me to say what he did different from someone else. But what I realized many years later is all the really great things that he did. And I think one of the great things that he did is he really inspired us to take ownership of our experience. And he always told us like, he can't do it for us. He can't get us in the right mindset. He can't do certain things. It's up to us. And when players take ownership and feel that responsibility, I think they're more motivated, they work harder and they find creative solutions to things that they might otherwise not have found solutions for. And so we had groups of players come together in the offseason to lead off season training when nothing was mandatory, but because we wanted that out of our experience and he inspired us to take that sort of ownership.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. I love that. Like, yeah, as you look back, I know that you were, it sounded like had one college coach, but you've had many professional coaches and other coaches. As you reflect back, is there a marked difference in the way that they interacted with you and communicated with you and encouraged you? I mean, here's one example, the accountability. Yeah. What else was different? Enough to make you go back and get your degree and go through your process, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. There were a lot of differences, and I think every coach has their own philosophies and has their own way of understanding the game of soccer and motivating people, right? So, all of my various coaches, I think, had something unique and different about them. And certainly, I would say that I learned from all of those things, all of those quirks and differences between them were things that I paid attention to. I would say that one of the biggest differences is that in college, you have a a group of people who is bought in at a different capacity than in the professional game. And the reason being is that when you're there for college, you're also there for an education, you're also there for the social life, and you chose that school, you wanted to be there. And so there's a feeling of, I don't know, passion or or pride for your school or something, right? Something that unites all of us towards one common goal. And in the professional world, I think it's more difficult to unite a group of, 20 something men to come together in the pursuit of a win, right? Or of results or things like that. It just becomes a little bit more difficult. I mean, you start talking about motivation, right? In the professional world, people become motivated by money and self interest versus like the school success and the pride that goes along with representing Vassar College, right? So I think really fundamentally that motivation is really different.
0: Oh that's a really good differentiation because not a lot of people I don't think can speak to that the insight that you have around it so I really really appreciate that. Well we know that motivation is a mental skill in itself. When you talk about coaching and your passion for developing athletes it sounds like as human beings not just as players. How would you describe your philosophy and what are your top like 3 mental skills that you like to develop with your players?
1: Oh man, (laughs) those are great questions. I got to take them one at a time. Yes, please. (laughs) So can you repeat the first one for me again?
0: Like what's your coaching philosophy? How would you describe it? And how is it sort of informed by your own experience as a player, as someone who's been coached and is coaching, and then now adding the sport performance piece? What's your coaching philosophy?
1: Yeah, I think my coaching philosophy... I really believe that the person has to be passionate about the game of soccer in order to become really good at soccer. I don't think that you can get better at soccer simply by repetition, simply by like... I think in in other sports like basketball or baseball, you can shoot a shot a 1000 times and get really good at a shot and have one quality that's going to make you a really good basketball player. There are players out there who are shooters and that's their primary responsibility. And maybe their other qualities might not be as good, but because they're a really good shooter, they can still be really successful. I feel like in soccer, it's a game that's so dynamic that you have to have a full skill set, a wide skill set to be able to even hang. And so in order to develop that wide range of skills, you have to fall in love with the game and you have to practice all of those different things and practice all the time.
0: And stay in love with the game, right, Nano?
1: Exactly. And stay in love with the game. Stay that's, in love that's with that's very it. true. Yeah. yeah. So I think my philosophy is around helping players fall in love with the game. And I think when I was a young coach, I was obsessed with drills and activities that would improve a specific soccer skill. But it's hard for, especially a young person or a kid or an inexperienced athlete, to wrap their mind around how important that individual skill is as opposed to like putting them in an environment where they're playing, right? And having fun and enjoying themselves as a game. A 10-year-old kid is not out there because he wants to have a really good shot. He's out there because he loves the game of soccer, right? And Uh then developing a really good shot is a consequence of being in love with the game and playing a lot and practicing a lot and shooting a lot and then developing your shot. So really, that's what my philosophy is all about. And I think when I was a younger coach, I was kind of obsessed with the training aspect because maybe at that time in my life, in my own playing career, I felt like that's what I needed to do to get better was that repetition. But that's different when you're an adult and when you're a professional and when you're, right, and you're at this high level, it's a completely different mindset than when you're a kid. And so when I coach, I really just try to inspire people to fall in love with the game and enjoy what they're doing and then becoming successful at your sport will be a byproduct of your love and passion for
0: the game. Mm, mm -hmm. How do we translate that though, like into when you become a high level athlete at the semi-pro, pro pro level where it's your job? I mean, I had kind of interjected and said, you got to stay in love with the game. How do you, how can you at the higher level?
1: Great question. I think the first thing that came to mind like image came to my mind of like Steph Curry shooting a Uh three-pointer before the game like just having fun like the guy just he shoots from the tunnel and he like he does all these different things He does his little dribbling routines and those things keep the game fun for him they keep things interesting and so it's like a little competition with himself and so he finds ways to keep basketball as a game for him and not just as a job right when it becomes a job and when you when you're doing things for other people when you're doing things for other reasons when you're doing it for a paycheck when you're doing it for a win on the weekend when you're doing it for those things you're losing touch with what really makes a good athlete, which is, I think, someone who loves the sport. And so you should be doing it because you love it and because you every day you enjoy going out there and training.
0: Yes, I think that's a great message and finding ways to keep the fun in it and not take it so seriously. I mean, I think what you're talking about is creating some sort of maybe pre game or pre practice or pre workout, pre training routines that you can like do and like implement and have to loosen up your body so you can have fun and it's not so intense and serious because it gets like that really fast, the higher level you play at, as you know.
1: Absolutely. And keeping those routines fun and interesting can be a challenge as well. You know, I've developed routines. I have routines for all different sorts of things. When I train, if I could train by myself with a soccer ball and I have a routine of different moves and things, footwork and things that I do, but if I keep it the same, for a period of time, it starts to get boring. It starts to get, I don't enjoy it as much. So I have to keep finding new things to add to it and different twists to put into my routine to keep it fun and interesting for myself.
0: Yes. Well, what you're talking about, and you and I both know this, so it's great to be able to talk together and people listen and learn too, is creating routines is a mental tool to develop the mental skill of like motivation to keep that motivation up. So if it's the same tool over and over again, the same routine, the motivation is going to wane. So we have to like change it up like you're talking about. What are your favorite mental skills that you like to develop in your players?
1: Mm, Great question. One of them that I think is oftentimes used but not well understood by the typical coach or player is self-talk. I'm a huge proponent of using self-talk to either learn new skills or to remind yourself to stay focused on the task at hand. And there are so many different ways to do that. But I think a lot of coaches use self-talk because that's how they learned it, right? Oftentimes, coaches regurgitate what they've gone through. Their experiences get kind of recreated onto the next generation that they're coaching, but they're not really sure why it's effective. And so using self-talk intentionally is something that I think is really important, especially in my soccer training. So even when I'm working with little kids and teaching them the correct passing technique, When they receive a ball and pass a ball, I'll tell them trap plant pass, trap plant pass, you know, and it's repeating this phrase, it's instructional self-talk to get them doing the right thing and to focus on the right part of the action, right? So you're drawing their attention in, in a way that they're hopefully honing in on this new skill.
0: Mm -hmm. I love it. And I love the difference between, I mean, that you've made instructional self-talk, and then what I use a lot with my athletes is like positive self-talk. There's so many negativity that goes on in their heads. Like I always want to be better. Like I effed up, like, damn, I'm never going to get this. This is too hard. Like you're training the brain so that it, it does believe it's too hard. You know, when you can shift it up and be instructional in some cases, and then add the positive self-talk too, that encourages you, keeps you motivated, keeps your self-confidence up which is all super important too, especially with the little ones and then moving up, it's just different. It becomes something different along the way, but it's tough to recognize that sometimes when I work with my athletes that they have so much negative self-talk and they don't understand the full impact of that. It's like it's how I've always talked to myself and then even a little bit more painfully I hear it's how I've always been talked to.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And so to make that shift that like, okay, I'm going to stop this talk right now be aware that it's happening and shift it right away so I don't go down this dark hole, I think is super important. So thank you for the instructional piece, which I think is really valuable as well. Tell me about Animo performance. Am I pronouncing it correctly? (laughs) Well, I say Animo. Animo Animo. performance. Animo. Like animate, right? Got it.
1: So Animo was kind of a, a side project that I created during my master's degree. I knew that I wanted to keep working in sports performance in some capacity so I basically started out with like a, a social media page and a website and slowly built it out a little bit to have a, a few clients and work with a couple different groups and then I brought some of my classmates on to take part in that as well so that they had a platform to be able to to share with people and so we're still going strong I mean we we still meet regularly my colleagues and I and we each have our own things going on we have our own clients but we we look to each other for support when when we have a client that that has a specific issue and we want to look further into it we'll ask each other for resources and talk through different things and support each other through so i think it's really important for practitioners to also have some sort of support system as they're supporting athletes as well so animo has been a fantastic project that we took on and that was that was partway through my master's degree. And then it really kind of took off when I finished my master's degree.
0: Uh-huh. That's great. I think that's an important point that those of us who do the work also need a strong support system to do the work, to keep learning, to keep growing, hearing things from a different perspective because we are working with humans, right? And, and like one human might see the situation one way and it would be very valuable to hear what another perspective would be as we like care for and support our athletes. So. I think that's super cool. And what are you doing now? Tell us about what you're working on now, projects or your professional job, your work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm working with an organization called Tiro Sports, which is basically a program that helps international students and athletes get recruited to US colleges. And so we host events all over the world. And We help them get recruited to U.S. colleges. We also host events where we bring them to the U.S. and we take them on tours of college campuses and they go to tournaments. And now we're in the process of also organizing our own tournament and a a residency program. And that residency program is gonna have sports psychology as one of the internal programming within the camp. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I've been doing that. I've been working with Tiro for about six months now. I started this past summer. With one of the tours that we did in the US. And then they brought me on to work in a bigger capacity. So I'm doing that. And then also got a couple of clients with Animo as well.
0: That's awesome. I love it. And what a niche and what a need. I mean, there's huge adjustment and transitional time for an international athlete to come to the US. I mean, it's tough for an American student to go <laughs> to college and play a sport and adjust to that environment, much less an international athlete, depending if there's a language barrier or like just the culture. I mean, there's cultural dynamics, even region by region here in our country. And so then like a whole nother experience coming into and being away from home, like that far away is a lot. So I commend you guys for doing the work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. How do you differentiate? Like if someone says, okay, you're a sports psychologist, what do you do? How do you differentiate that from like what someone says they want, like a clinical sports psychologist? What's the difference in your mind between the two? I think it's important for us to together maybe suss that out for the audience that's listening.
1: Sure. That's a great question. I've always considered myself, as we kind of discussed earlier, a coach before I was a sports psychologist. And so I, I think that the majority of my experience is practical experience on the field, working with people on a daily basis. And I think that should definitely be separated from a clinical psychologist who has more specific training in psychology. In sports psychology, a lot of the time we use things like mental skills that can be taught almost on the fly. You have to be a bit more adaptable and a bit more willing to just use what the tools that you have at your disposal to work with groups and individual athletes and kind of, you know, do that sort of thing whereas I feel like clinical psychologists typically have a more preset set of tools that they may work with. And they typically work in a different setting. I envision a clinical psychologist working, you know, as opposed to working on the field like I do with athletes, maybe working in an office or something like that. I know that that's not always true, but I think it helps to envision the difference.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think there's a general difference. I think it's in this culture shift of athlete mental health, things are changing a little bit. I think it's important for any athlete out there any team out there to know what is offered in each profession so that it matches what your need is. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker, so I can do the therapeutic side and treat the athlete as the full human and resource coordinate. I can prevent mental health issues from becoming a problem. I can diagnose, assess, treat, and help in recovery if there is a mental health challenge. And then in recent years, I've gone back and gotten my, I'm pursuing my CMPC right now, the certification for the mental performance consultant so that I can have the translation of the language that is unique to sports. So if someone wants to make sure that the mental health from like depression, eating disorders, anxiety is prevented and mitigated, they can go the clinician route, hopefully, who also has some sport training. And then if you want to work on, the mental skills like you're talking about on the fly, on the field, then that's a mental performance coach or specialist. It's cool with the roots that I'm doing. I can do both. So we're experimenting with how that looks. Maybe not coaching on the field, but being present around prehab and the time before they get on the field and being able to connect and talk and chat and then having an office on site, kind of like Dr. Sharon and Ted Lasso.
1: So we're actually,
0: (laughs) (laughs) although she, it's funny. People ask me, is what you do kind of like what Dr. Sharon does? I mean, like we use the tool of the relationship and ourselves differently, but it's a good general sense. But like she would observe training sessions sometimes, which I might do. But just being able to build a rapport, be present around that prehab time at the facility. So I think it's cool to be able to like see the future of it. Like, what do you think about like this? more, I want to say mainstream resurgence or surgence of athlete mental health being in like current topics, current events. I mean, you and I both know athlete mental health is not something new, but it's new in sort of mainstream visibility. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, well, I think to some degree, all publicity is good publicity for the field, right? I think that having more people think about these issues, talk about these issues is really, really important. I do think that with more visibility in the field now, you actually get a lot more confusion as well. A lot more people who don't know exactly what it means to be a sports psychologist or a mental performance coach. There are different roles within sports psychology and the the field, I think, encapsulates so much. right? that it's, it's difficult for the average person to pick out what the different roles might be. But I do think it's really fantastic that more people are are talking about it on a regular basis. And then you have these popular athletes coming out and making statements publicly, especially with the Olympics and other things that have gone on with the pandemic and things like that. People just looking out for their mental health. It's raising an awareness, which I think is really important.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's why it was important for us to kind of go down that road of differentiating the different roles and professions that are out there. I've had a couple discussions recently where even the internal staff didn't know what the sports psychologist did or didn't do. Mm-hmm. Like when someone's asking, like, oh, you have the athlete mental health covered, like you can make sure that they're healthy around not letting depression, anxiety, or diagnoses kind of keep you from performing like, oh yeah, we got that covered with a sports psychologist. When in fact, the sports psychologist is not clinical and is dedicated to the mental performance side, which because of their training expertise, can't come over to the other side and vice versa. So I think it's important that we keep talking about it and make sure that... Right?
1: Yeah. I was going to say, I think that there's a huge overlap between the roles, but they definitely cannot be confused. I would consider myself someone who works more in the performance realm as someone who has that practical experience and especially, like I said earlier, works on the field. I think in a lot of ways, I build rapport with players and with athletes by showing my competence and being out there with them and showing that I know what soccer is all about. And that's completely different than the mental health side of things. Is there overlap? Yes. Can one thing help with the other? Sure. But they're not the same role.
0: Yeah. This is a question I generally have as a sport performance specialist who's also a coach. Do you think the sport performance specialist who hasn't had the experience of coaching and being a coach could be as active on the field?
1: Good question. I think it really depends on the situation <laughs> and the person's personality, you know. There was a funny question that was asked one time during my master's program which was like we had the chance to have like a Q&A with someone who worked in the field and we asked That person, are you more of a suit and tie type of sports psychologist or like (laughs) Uh track suit sports psychologist, right? So what's your level of involvement? Some people prefer to stay more kind of in the background and observe more and be less present on the field or on the court or or whatever the setting may be. And others like to be hands-on and like to be there every moment of it. And there's no right or wrong way to do it. I think it really depends on your individual approach as a practitioner.
0: No, I think that's funny. I like that suit and tie or tracksuit. What I'm learning too is that, let's say for me, even if I want to be the tracksuit influencer, like with the roots, let's say, and I want to be as visible as possible and build those relationships, which I know are important for the guys to open up and share who they are, it has to fit with the coach's sort of idea about how someone like me can fit in. Because sometimes there might be days like, oh yeah, Lisa can be present at prehab these days and these days, but this week we're focusing on this, and I want the guys fully focused on that and not have that. So it's about being able to like you can be the coach and the sport performance in one. For me, it's split, and so like I can't make that unilateral decision that this is how I'm going to show up and need to follow sort of the culture even week to week, month to month, what it might look depending on where we are in the season and how involved and in what way he would want me there. Yeah, so I, I think th- it's super dynamic, right?
1: I think that's especially true in the professional sports world where you have a whole staff of people around this professional team, right? Yeah. So it's a whole organization. And so making sure that the roles within that organization are aligned and all complement each other properly is really important. And then within that organization, maybe it's possible that people come and go, right? Because In the professional setting, people are in and out, right? They perform well, they stay, or they perform well, they get a job offer somewhere else, or they're not getting the job done and they get asked to leave. And so people are in and out all the time. On every professional team that I ever played on, there were new faces every single day. And so, in order to manage those things and keep them under control, it's really important that, particularly, the head coach has a good understanding of what are the qualities of the people around me. And how can I maximize those qualities and work together with somebody in a way that's going to help everybody, not just that person do the best job that they can do, but you know, empowers everybody around them.
0: No, I love that. I love that. That's super important and super insightful from a player perspective, a coach perspective, and a sports psychology perspective as a performance coach. You've coached young ones too, it sounds like, and have liked that. Like This is my final question for you to ponder let's say you coached a season with like a 10 and under, it could be boys or girls. You've coached a whole season, you've implemented you know, mental skills, you've developed them as young humans and as players on the field and having fun. If I was to sit down with maybe two or three of them and ask like, what do you think about Coach Nano? Like, what would you want them to say about
1: you? <laughs> Great question. Well, I was first thinking about... I thought you were going to ask me what I like them to say about their experience. And I I was going to say, I want them to have fun. That's number one. Especially with kids that age, I want them to have fun. I don't know if I necessarily need them to say that I'm fun. (laughs) Right? Right. Because I think good leaders can be fun, but good leaders also might not be fun. They might be really good at being an authority figure. And that might not be fun. But that's providing a structure for them in order to have fun. And so that's what I thought of is like, I would want them to respect me and see me as someone who guides them in the right way. So it's hard for me to say three things that I would want them to say about me. Well, okay, I would say, I hope that they think that I'm reliable. (laughs) I think that any young person deserves a leader who's reliable. I would hope that they say that I'm consistent Because I think that's really important for young kids to be able to, you know, if you want to get certain behaviors out of somebody, they need to know what to expect. And if you're changing your mind all the time or throwing curveballs at them, it becomes really difficult for them to learn. So I think consistency is also really key. And then the last thing that I hope that they would say is along the lines of the fun that I was talking about, but I would hope that they would say that I'm lighthearted because. I have a tendency when I coach to also be serious because I really love the sport and I want to teach them and I want them to get better at what they do. But I also want them to know that I can smile and laugh and have fun with them as well. So I hope that they would say that I'm consistent, that I'm reliable, and that I'm lighthearted.
0: I like it. I like it. And like, I know that coaches can't always be friends. But they can be friendly and teach them how to be a good friend, how to model being a good friend, how to help them be good friends to each other and thus be good teammates. And I think what you're talking about, the reliability, the structure and lightheartedness is what we want our kids to be, to embody that and to choose friends who also embody that and like be able to be themselves and have fun within the safety and consistency that all of that brings them. So I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. Because what you're doing or what coaches do with the young ones is develop them as up-and-coming humans who have values and beliefs about how they want to show up. So I think that's super important.
1: Mm -hmm. By the way, I have coached both boys and girls under 10s teams. So at some point, we can go back and we can ask those kids if I meet that criteria.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Or just being able to ask them and see what they say and how fun that would be to just hear. Yeah. Because what we think they might see us as or what we're trying to instill might not be what they see, good, bad, or indifferent. So I think it's just an interesting sort of evaluative process. So I think it's really cool. Nano, it's been my pleasure. I've learned a lot. I've had fun with you today. I appreciate our time. And just, you know, is there anything else you want to make sure you add or say? Any shout outs, anything at all? I want to give you that platform for that.
1: Well, I want to thank you as well. This has been really nice conversation. Hopefully, I've been able to say some interesting things for you and your listeners. Absolutely. But also, you asked me great questions and inspired me to think about things in a different way. So I appreciate that as well. I will give one shout out, which is to Oakland. I know you're over there in the Bay Area. So I got to give town, a shout
0: out to town. my hometown. Yeah, yep.
1: that's right. Love
0: it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on.
0: Yes, I look forward to it. I hope that our paths cross in person someday soon.
1: Likewise.
2: Yeah, I'll make sure to give you a shout when I'm in the Bay.
0: Thanks, Nano. That was awesome.
2: One of my favorite things about our Sports Entrepreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at sportsepreneur. Thank you for listening to this Source production, the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. Sports Epreneur is a content platform, a collaborative team, and a marketing brand that is all about showcasing leaders and difference makers in and around the world of sports. While we create our own content, we also create content with you. This includes collaborative content and exclusive content for your brand. Think podcasts, blogs, social media, and overall content strategy. Our sports content marketing team is specifically niche for those in the sports industry. That includes sports businesses, athletes, managers, coaches, trainers, entrepreneurs, and business leaders in the sports market. The bottom line is we want to help with your sports-related brand, your content marketing, and your story. Connect with us on Instagram at sportsepreneur or find us online at sportsepreneur.com. Sportsypreneur, the content platform where sports and entrepreneurship collide.